Well, what is it? What is it that within each one of us, we feel this need for connection? Greg Boyd, in his book, Repenting of Religion and Moving from Judgment to the Love of God, laments that so often the church becomes exactly what God didn't intend it to be. We tend to make judgments on the externals and not enter into the very love of God and make those assessments from a heart of love. You see, God God ascribes unsurpassable worth to people. And every human being, as Greg says, is created with a God-shaped vacuum in their inner being. We're created with a hunger that only the triune God can satisfy. And that's, that's true for all of us. Not just those of us who come to church every Sunday morning or Saturday night or Wednesday night. But it's true for the folks who want nothing to do with church. Uh, I can tell by looking out there and that you're all probably old enough to remember a show, a TV show from about the mid-80s to early 90s. Now, some of you might not have watched it, but if I were to say, Norm, what show? Everybody watched it. Okay, okay, not everybody. But it was a place where everybody knows your name. And who was Norm? You know, Norm's this big, likable guy that every time he walks into the bar, everyone goes, Norm! And then they turn around, they, they're right back to what they were doing. And he walks, you know, and sits in his stool, and of course everyone knows his name. I mean, we'd all know his name if the same person showed up at the same bar every single day for ten years and sat at the same stool. They even did this show on the fact that the area beneath him on his stool was sinking. (laughs) Now, yeah, he was a little heavy, but we see from that that there is this need. And unfortunately, fortunately, bars are one place that people go. And the other is coffee houses. (laughs) Yeah, Barb's laughing. Every sermon I preach, right, that's coffee. I love coffee. Starbucks has made a lot of money with wanting to be the third place, right? That's in their vision, to be the third place. You have home, you have work. Some of us think this is the third place, or our our extended families, but Starbucks wants to be the third place. Now, as you know... I go down, as uh, my friend Helen I. Colt says, I'm over the hill. I go down the hill to a place called Sidewinder. Love the place, great coffee, great people. And so I decided last week to talk to a few of them and just to check this out. So there's uh, one of the baristas whose name is, uh, is Connie. She said, please introduce me as Consuela. I don't know why. That's just Connie. She's kind of crazy, but she's a lot of fun. And I said, well, why do people come here? 
mean, this place is packed all the time. And Connie said, well, besides the love and the coffee, you know, we provide a place where people can have relationships and community. And then there's Heather. And Heather, this shows you the kind of people there that kind of got a nice, edgy sense of humor. Heather says, introduce me. I told her, I'm going to use your name, Heather. Of course, none of y'all probably know her, but she says, uh, okay, well, introduce me as being five foot nine with long, flowing brunette locks. Uh, she's only about five two, black hair. But I, I asked Heather because the, the amazing thing is she works there, but she's always there. If I go in the afternoon, she's not working. She's out on the front stoop. She's in at a table uh, just hanging out. And I asked her, and I said, well, I have no family in town. So folks like this are my second family. This is where I connect. And the third person said exactly the same thing. Only she shared a story where, uh, you know, I did go to church once. Because <laughs> she said people don't go to church, so they come to Sidewinder. I did go to church once, and I, I wondered, you know, I went to see my friend up front playing music, and I walked all the way there and all the way down the aisle to sit down, and then I realized that my skirt was hiked up to my waist. She looked at me and says, why didn't someone there tell me? I really did not have an answer. Uh, church folks are good at fellowship. You know, we have churches. Uh, we do conferences where we're going all over to expand uh, our, our group of people that we will know and that we can learn from. Probably the touch point, though, is small groups. And that's where we do fellowship. Now, there is a danger in the church, and I think some of us know it, that fellowship becomes, well, it becomes an end in itself. And we kind of forget what it's all about. And so we have Fellowship Hall, and we have the Koinonia room upstairs, and we have fellowship groups. But in the biblical sense, some of us don't even experience fellowship there. Yeah, it's a place like Norm where everybody knows our name, but is it really fellowship? I think Larry's going to put up Ephesians 3.20, and I'm going to read parts of this, but then I'm going to, to jump around a little bit as we go forward. I think the first part really gives us a good context about what this is all about, that it's the power of God and love. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Therefore, a pris- I, therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity, the oneness, the harmony 
of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The bond being that unifying principle of love that it's like a ligament that binds the body together in peace. I mentioned earlier that we, we get our sense, whether we realize it or not, of this, this God-shaped vacuum in our life from the Trinity. You know, the Trinity is, is very difficult, obviously, for all of us to understand. But the one thing we know about the Trinity and the three persons in there is that they give unsurpassable worth to one another. The Son does nothing unless He hears it from the Father. The Son doesn't leave us without giving us the Spirit. Greg Boyd, again in his book, uh, and I don't know if I really have time to read this, but I wanted to read a little bit on repenting from religion. The most profound truth of the Bible is that God is love. This is the most fundamental thing to be said about God, for it encompasses everything else. For as the one eternal, uncreated reality, the triune community is the ultimate value from which all things created derive their value. Now, we, while we cannot clearly conceive of the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and what it looked like prior to creation, we can discern its basic nature from the way God reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So God, the triune God, created humans out of this whole sense of the community of the Trinity that describes such unsurpassable worth and love, it couldn't be contained and it spilled out. It overflowed into creation. And that's why He created you and you and me for fellowship. And the amazing thing is, He invites us into it. It wasn't just an end in itself to create us. Because after we fell, God had that plan. And if we look at the scripture in Ephesians 3 uh, that preceded this one, but it says, To me, though I am the least of the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone, and this was the interesting part, what is the fellowship of the mystery of the plan for God hidden for the ages in Jesus Christ who created all things. The fellowship of the mystery, the plan to redeem people, and the entire Godhead was involved in that plan. They were there. By His act, the death of Jesus on the cross, the plan to redeem mankind, He demonstrated the length that He was willing to go for love. He demonstrated the unsurpassable worth 
that he ascribes to each one of us when he redeems us. He loves us so much that he went to the cross and he took the hit for us and then invited us in to the fellowship of the Trinity. As Greg Boyd calls it, the dance of the triune fellowship. Because when we come to Jesus and believe who he is, it says if God takes us and puts us into Christ, we are in him. And by being in him, we participate, we fellowship with, we koinonia with the triune God of the universe. And that is the context in which I want us to understand our fellowship. When we get to the point where we can ascribe to others the same unsurpassable worth that he ascribes to us, we'll be getting to the point where we understand what the fellowship is that God enjoys for himself and with us. But this is not the end in and of itself. Since God is a loving, relational God, and we are bearers of his image, we too have a desire to be in relationship. And that was part of the the irony of this whole thing when they asked me to talk about fellowship. Those who know me know that I tend to be, believe it or not, somewhat of an introverted person. And so fellowship, to me, just wears me out. That is, that meeting together all the time. That wears me out. But uh, Paul continues in Ephesians in saying, With all humility and gentleness and with patience, bear with one another in love. We heard that in 1 Corinthians, and we heard that in Philippians, and you can find that throughout the writings of Paul. Eager to maintain. And this is where I want us to really grasp this. We bear with one another, eager to maintain the unity or the harmony or the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, Paul seems to be assuming here when he tells us this, that we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, It seems like he doesn't say, you know, work at it to get the unity of the Spirit. We already know that the Spirit in and of itself with the Father and the Son is unified. There's oneness there. There's wholeness there. Paul seems to be in making the implication by this that the only thing we can really do is mess it up. He's just telling us, listen, don't mess up the unity of the Spirit. So how do we mess it up? Does the current Scripture say anything? I think it does. Later on it says, and be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and slander and malice not be a part of your life together. That's how we mess up this relationship, this fellowship in the Lord. 
I come to the hard part for me. Because <laughs> this is the personal part. This is the personal part about messing up fellowship. And it's something that I've not shared too often with too many people. Uh, but I think I need to. Uh, and about, well, over the last 12 years, you know, I, when I became a Christian some 34 years ago and entered into the life of the church, into the body of Christ, small groups were so important. I mean, that's where I basically grew up. I grew up into Christ by being with people and living life, doing life together, sharing it. And in those times, you really share some real intimate things about yourself. And groups are supposed to, you know, be a place where you can do that. It's a created space where we can be who God made us as we are growing. Well, there were two separate occasions over the course of about ten years. One with my very best friend and one on the staff of a church where in the context of the small group, I shared some things that were really difficult for me in terms of work. Now, as my wife would probably tell you if she was here at this one, she'll be at the next service. I have, can share a lot of things that are really difficult about work. I've not handled work too well sometimes. But the reason for sharing this is this. On two separate occasions, there were other things going on at work too, but two individuals, one my best friend and one who was in authority over me, took those things to my boss and I lost two jobs. These were personal things. These were not professional things that anybody knew. So they violated the whole idea of Christian community and fellowship. That's why I asked Tom to read Psalm 55. That's where David knew some of his greatest pain. It's you, it's you, my brother, who I was in sweet concourse with. But you know, as I was walking, right now, as I've gotten a little bit older, uh, I know a lot of folks here can identify. I used to work out a lot and hard. Now I walk. And I just, I try to walk as far as I can because I can't do the running thing anymore. And frankly, remember what I said about discipline? Yeah, it's true. Discipline physically is tough too. While I was walking one day, I asked God. That's where I talked to him. That's where I prayed many times. I said, okay, just tell me what you want. So I'm walking along. And then he started to, uh, to mess with me. <laughs> he really did. He brought to mind these two situations that were very, very painful. Now, I knew that I had dealt with those. Because I had gone to both individuals. We had worked it out. Sort of, you know, neither of them thought they did anything wrong, but, no, Sally, it's true, <laughs> neither of them thought they did anything wrong, and we can't control that, but we have to do what we can do to bring peace to the body. And I said, but God, I dealt with those things. And he says, yeah, but, you know, there's something you haven't dealt with. 
And as I was reading the book called The Shack, I don't know if any of you read it. It's an amazing book that describes this relationship and this meeting that the protagonist has with the Trinity. The same thing was said in there that God said to me. Not the same words. My name is Mac, number one. He said, Mac, when talking, when talking with Papa, and Papa was what Mac's wife called the father, that term of endearment, daddy. The real underlying flaw in your life, Mac, is that you don't think that I'm good. If you knew I was good and that everything is covered by my goodness, then while you might not always understand what I'm doing, you would trust me. Ow. It's as if in walking with my daddy, at that moment he said, you know, the fellowship that I want for you, the fellowship that I want for every single person, is that you realize the unsurpassable worth that I give to you. You were worth everything. And that person next to you when you go to church, when you go down in the hill to Sidewinders, I love with unsurpassable love beyond anything you can imagine. And that is what is at the key of keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is that He gives us as we live into Jesus and we live into life he gives us the ability to forgive one another because we are gonna have to do it if we want to maintain the unity of the spirit forgiveness and humility have to be a part of our characters and as we've heard the very God we believe in is a fellowship or a community, the triune God. He invites us in to his redemptive... Isn't that amazing? Not only does he save us, he invites us to partake in the redemption of the rest of this creation. Because when we're in Christ, that's what he wants. He wants us to be partakers of the divine nature, to go out and participate in fellowship in his redemptive person, purpose for all mankind. So as we connect with one another and share life through all its messiness, with all its pain, all its hurts, all its betrayals, we live into the fellowship we have with God and with those to whom he ascribes unsurpassable worth. God has, the triune God, has ascribed unsurpassable worth to all of us by sacrificing everything. And now we can be changed into the very image of Jesus. And the local church is this space that he creates for all of us to enter in, to participate in, to share life together in that place. It is a place, if you will, of redemptive change. 
And when the redeemed people of God are redeemed, when they are changed, they then go out into the world to change the world in fellowship with God.